Welcome to Shorties, a short true crime story. Hello. Hello there. I was going to say happy first week. <laughs> I'm going to say happy first week every single day <laughs> that we do this. Happy end of our first week. Happy Friday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy Friday. Um, today I'm covering a mysterious death. It's a case that was ruled a suicide, even though I personally believe that it was a homicide. And then you can, it's up for debate, but it's not at all. Over the years, I've read numerous articles and I've listened to a few podcast episodes about this case. And every single time I am blown away that it hasn't been reopened. This story takes place in Australia and to this day remains one of Melbourne's most insane unsolved mysteries. This is the story of Phoebe Hansjuke. Phoebe was born on May 9th, 1986 in Melbourne, Australia, making her a Taurus just two days before mine. Yeah. Her parents called her Tiger Cub, and that is completely fitting because not only was she born in the year of the tiger, but it seems like everything about Phoebe was fierce. She was described as a wild child who just wanted to do and explore everything. Since she was young, she had a beautifully active imagination, and she created a very rich fantasy world in her head. She grew up in a house with a slate roof that she would climb on top of so that she could stare up at the sky. Aw, she kind of sounds like you. I know, just just kind of a little loner with a great imagination. <laughs> Very much you. <laughs> People gravitated towards her. According to PhoebeHandrick.com, she had an almost insatiable appetite for socializing. She was popular at school and loved her friends. She was described as extremely sensitive, caring, and compassionate with a playful sense of humor. Phoebe was an incredibly loyal friend, and the people in her life knew for a fact that they could always count on her. She was fiercely protective of her family and had a very close relationship with her brothers and grandmother Jeanette. Not only was she super likable and popular, but she was an incredible athlete. One of her teachers said that they had never met such a strong child. While it seemed like she had everything in the world going for her, Phoebe battled depression and anxiety. Like many teens with depression, she started experimenting with drugs and alcohol to help numb the overwhelming lows. At just 15 years old, she started taking ecstasy and speed and hung out with a pretty tough crowd. According to MarieClaire.com, she actually ran away and squatted in the city with an ex-prisoner, his partner, and their baby. And this lasted for about eight weeks before she finally returned home. Obviously, her parents were beyond concerned and knew something had to be done about her mood swings. That's all really tough stuff, especially at the age of 15. Like that's like you're still a kid. And I mean, you are a kid in everyone's eyes, but especially your parents' eyes. Yeah. She was prescribed medication to help with her depression. And she also regularly met with a therapist. So they were like doing all the right things that a parent should do. Yeah. Unfortunately, things didn't quite turn around for Phoebe after this. At the age of 16, she began to secretly date a teacher who was twice her age what that's disgusting i'm like that's 32 i can do the math that's illegal oh my god (laughs) her parents marriage was falling apart and she was struggling to cope with their inevitable split and it just sounds like she started dating older men as a way to feel protected and secure Uh, to me that makes sense like yeah i could see that when phoebe was 23 she started dating 40 year old anthony hample she was working as a receptionist at lindley godfrey's hair salon and anthony would come in regularly for cuts Antony was smart, handsome, and hung around people with a lot of money. He was the son of retired Supreme Court Judge George Hample, and I think the fact that he grew up and associated with people that were so different from Phoebe was really alluring to her. And when you're young, the world of the rich and famous seems so much more attractive than it really is. Oh, yeah. So intoxicating and glamorous. glamorous. Yeah. 
It doesn't sound like anyone really took them seriously. Her friends thought they'd probably hook up a few times and then she'd move along, but they were wrong. After about five months, Phoebe moved into Anthony's apartment in October of 2009. They were a classic case of opposites attract. Anthony wanted his home spotless. His house cleaner said that he liked the place to look like no one even lived there. While Phoebe was a complete mess. She was a painter and she loved clutter. She didn't like living in a space that felt untouched. One day, Phoebe actually left work early because she was freaking out about an ink stain that she had made on the carpet and she wanted to get home to scrub it out before her boyfriend got home. Sounds like she'd walked on eggshells with him. Yeah, that's, yeah. And I mean, like, I'm a mess and my boyfriend's super clean, but like, he's just like, hey, can you put the lid on things? Like, I'm not like in fear of him. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Phoebe was very open with her therapist about how much she put her down for even the smallest everyday things and how stupid he made her feel. Antony made comments later about how Phoebe struggled every day with doing the most simplest of things. Like to his standards. (laughs) To his standards. It's just condescending. Phoebe's mom, Natalie, became very concerned with her daughter's insecurities surrounding their relationship. She said that Phoebe began to drink excessively to help with her social anxiety whenever she was around Antony and his friends. Oh, no. All of his friends were attractive and wealthy, and this really, really intimidated her like imposter syndrome exactly she's like i'm not one of these people and you said she's like in her early 20s and he's in his 40s so that alone can feel like totally different world exactly antony referred to phoebe's drinking as the monster he said it was just that monster was the alcohol she was coping with her depression she really was she was with the best doctors and the best therapist everyday alcohol she couldn't just brought out this monster and the monster won And for a man that likes to be in control of everything in his life, this is a recipe for disaster. Phoebe had begun to withdraw because she knew this wasn't the right fit for her. She called her mom one day and said, Mom, I just don't know what to do. I love Aunt, but it's not working. Lindley Godfrey, who was Phoebe's boss at the salon, he also happened to be a close friend of Antony. And he said, he was a very controlling person and he was a friend of mine. I felt sorry for him because I feel he was in love with her and he was losing her. But like many toxic relationships, she would pack up her things and leave, only to be convinced to come back. Antony and Phoebe broke up and got back together something like four times within a span of six weeks. Oh. Those six weeks became a cycle of breaking up, drinking too much, hanging out with a tough crowd, people that Antony liked to call lowlifes. Then there would be a dramatic reconciliation, which led to using prescription drugs to numb the pain, and then just like a constant cycle. It would just start all over again. Yeah. According to CrimeReads.com, Antony woke up early to get a workout in before heading to work on December 2nd, 2010. He had an event company located in Richmond, and supposedly it was about to be a very busy day full of meetings. That evening, around 6.05 p.m., he drove into the basement parking lot of his luxury apartment building, Valencia. He parked his Range Rover and then used his key fob to take the elevator up to his 12th floor apartment. Apartment. <laughs> is this what, Brooklyn you want, you or is it Australia? Apartment, okay, <laughs> with this Range Rover. <laughs> and when I say apartment, I'm an apartment. When he opened his front door, his bull terrier Yoshi greeted him like normal. Yoshi had created his usual mess while Anthony had been at work. The oh couch. wait, so his dog is allowed to make a mm-hmm. mess, but his girlfriend can't? Yes, of course. So the couch cushions had been pulled off, amongst other things, but. For some reason, this didn't bother Antony. That is not a well-behaved dog. No, it's not. And I know his literally his girlfriend getting a little ink on the carpet. Like yeah. she seemed more well-behaved. 
but his dog can just <laughs> yeah, trash. Yoshi can just trash the place. <laughs> but he had just like never ending patience for the dog, but not for his, you know, human partner. Okay. <laughs> Don't love that personally. Um, Anthony noticed that Phoebe was not at home. And this was concerning because he saw that her keys and handbag were sitting at the kitchen counter. He knew she wouldn't just leave without her things because while you could leave the apartment building without keys, there would be no way of getting back in. Every entrance required a special key fob. The next thing he noticed were a series of very strange notes that had been written on the post-its in the kitchen. He knew that these notes had to have been written recently because the house cleaner had just come the day before and cleaned the kitchen top to bottom. And I was also thinking you were there in the morning right. and you left when you have noticed them when yeah. you woke up and went to the kitchen. But, right. you know. Especially if he lives in such a spotless apartment, like it would be, you'd see anything out of You're going to see neon post-its yeah. with scribblings everywhere. But he said that he had just noticed them. When he walked into the bedroom, he was confronted with a very chilling sight. Antony later said that it was like a shrine on the bed. There was a picture of her cat, a photo of Antony and Phoebe, tons of scribbled notes and candles still burning. He saw that her hair straightener was still plugged into the socket in the bathroom. 40 minutes after Antony had gotten home, Phoebe's dad called her phone. According to her father, Len, in his phone records, he called Phoebe's phone at 6.51 p.m. and Antony picked up that call. According to Ant, he did not hear her phone ringing and he didn't pick up the call. But he insists that he called Len on his own phone because he was wondering if Phoebe had possibly gone to see her dad. Okay. Regardless, when the two men spoke on the phone, Len told Antony that he had been trying to get a hold of his daughter because of dinner plans that she had made for the three of them. Apparently, Phoebe had made reservations at the Golden Triangle to celebrate Len's birthday. Len was just calling to find out what time they were supposed to meet. And I did find this like... It's not even, maybe they're just people that like dine later. I mean, I'm like, maybe I'm the weird one for dining at like 530. But you he was are, calling. That's like yeah. a, honestly, that's like an early bird special. That's, I'm like with the elderly folk. And honestly, I love that you always, you do tend to eat dinner around 530. And Brett and I don't eat until, you know, like in the 7 p.m. hour. And That's when I have my second dinner. And that's when you have your second dinner. And yes. I always, we always ask, like before we make something or order something, we're like, you want to have anything else too? And you're like, no, I already had my dinner. And then as soon as we have our food, you're like, hey, well, that looks good. Oh, I know, I'm, yeah, like, okay. I'm literally like a golden retriever. <laughs> <laughs> but so I made a note that I thought it was bizarre that he was calling her at almost seven to see when they were meeting for dinner that night. Mm -hmm. But it's probably not that weird. They could just be like 830 diners or something. Yeah. Anthony told Len that Phoebe was not home and mentioned that she had left her phone, her purse and keys at the apartment. This was deeply concerning to Len because just the day before, he and a few other family members had received a very strange text. And this text read, Hi family, I am in bed and about to sleep. And when I wake, I will transform into the most incredible human being you've ever seen. In parentheses, not. I will go to hospital. It's safer there and I hear the special tonight is tomato soup. Delicious, nutritious. I love you all very much, but not enough to send an individual text. Sorry about that, but time is sleep and I must be on my way. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. XO. Okay, so. Very concerning. <laughs> is that unusual though? Like, did she really have a drinking problem and yes. maybe send things like this normal? Or was it just like, is that, would it be as wild as if I did that? Um, it sounds like they were all very, very concerned. Um, like her mom, Natalie, had been boarding a plane after working for nine weeks in the Western desert. And when she got that text, she immediately called her mom, Jeanette, and asked her to call Phoebe to check in on her. Mm -hmm. 
So I guess she did have a drinking problem, but this was kind of like a spiraling. Like this was like mental health. Yeah, so this was alarming. This was alarming to them. Jeanette, who is her grandma, um, had just texted Anthony a couple hours before asking how Phoebe was doing. And he had responded at 8.32 a.m. saying, thanks, Marm. She is sleeping beauty right now and not the beast that she was. Resting well, and I've explained now is the time to heal. Then when she feels okay, we'll work out a plan. But after she received a call from Phoebe's mom, she wanted to double check, so she gave him a call at 10.35 a.m. He basically told her, oh, I didn't read the text, and that he wasn't concerned because Phoebe had been sleeping peacefully when he left for work. He told her that he would swing by the apartment to check on her just to kind of give the grandma you know, peace of mind. Mm-hmm. Jeanette was comforted by this and texted Natalie, who's Phoebe's mom, by the way, mm-hmm. saying that Phoebe was fine and Auntie would go by and see her, but he didn't do that. Because he got that call at 10.35 a.m. and he didn't go home to check on her or, you know, home from work until after 6 p.m. Oh. Yeah. So after receiving that text and knowing that other family members are worried, Len is freaking out and telling Anthony that he should report her missing. But Anthony refused. He said, they don't listen until 48 hours have passed and she'll be back by then. Okay, that's not for you to decide. No, it's not. And even though Anthony seemed unfazed, This is when everyone else in Phoebe's life began to call one another and contact anyone that they thought might know anything about her whereabouts. Yeah. No one had seen her or heard from her that day. A close friend named Bren did mention that he had gone for drinks with Phoebe earlier that week and that she had been on a bit of a bender. So that was not comforting (laughs) to them at all. Mm -mm. Everyone close to her was panicked, except for her boyfriend, Anthony. He decided to call up the Golden Triangle, the restaurant that he was supposed to go to that night with Phoebe and her dad, and he ordered some takeout. He buzzed the delivery boy up to his 12th floor apartment a little after 8 p.m. When the delivery boy got to the door, he asked Aunt, man, what's going on here? Anthony asked him what he meant, and the delivery boy replied, the front of the building is swarming with cops. There's police cars, ambulance. I had to prop my bike up the street. Hope your dinner isn't cold. Anthony put his dinner inside and then went down to the lobby of the building. He walked straight up to the detective and asked what was going on. Sergeant Andrew Healy told him that a woman's body had been found in the garbage compactor room. To which Antony replied, Oh no, my girlfriend is missing. Could it be her? Excuse me, what? Oh. (laughs) Ant proceeded to tell Sergeant Healy that he had been calling his girlfriend all day, but her cell was broken. He goes on to tell the sergeant that she was taking medication for her depression and that he was very worried about her mental state. He said that even though he was worried and called her a few times after seeing that she wasn't home, he just figured that she'd turn up like she normally does. Detective Healy asked Antony if Phoebe had any features that would stand out, like a tattoo or something. He said that they had matching tattoos on their wrists and hers was on her right wrist. He mentioned that she also had a piercing on her upper lip. After giving this information, Antony headed up to his apartment. During this time, Detective Healy looked over the photos that had been taken of the dead body. He noticed that the woman had a tattoo on her stomach, something that Antony had not mentioned. So the detective takes the elevator up to his apartment to ask him whether or not Phoebe happened to have a tattoo on her stomach. That seems so distinctive. I know. Like, that's like the first thing I would think to mention. But Yeah, any, any identifying marks. Antony said that she did. He showed the detective a few recent photos of Phoebe. Detective Healy knew this woman had the same features as the woman that had been found dead in the trash room. The detective said later that he didn't have any phone reception in the apartment, 
so he had to go downstairs to notify the other police. When he returned, he and his team were ready to search the apartment for any clues. The first thing that stood out to them was a broken wine glass that was next to some blood on the floor. They discovered the strange post-its next. After searching the apartment, the police searched throughout the entire 12th floor. During this time, Antony called his mother and stepfather to tell them the news. He then called Phoebe's father, Len, to tell him that his daughter was dead. He told Len that he should call his two sons and have them all drive over to the apartment building as soon as possible. Len didn't want to tell his sons what had happened over the phone and just asked them to come home immediately. While he waited for his sons, he called his ex-wife, Natalie. She picked up the phone and immediately asked, What happened? Have you found Phoebe? Len replied, I hope you're sitting down. She's dead. They found her near the rubbish bins at the apartment. Natalie fell to the ground and sobbed uncontrollably. Her boyfriend had to come outside and carry her into the house. They then notified the grandmother soon after. The building concierge was the one to make the 911 call that night, which in Australia is actually called triple O. So I should say made the triple O call. South Melbourne police showed up to the Valencia apartment buildings at 7.14 p.m. Detective Healy was a part of that team. When they arrived, the concierge told them that she couldn't go back into the garbage room and gave them keys that they could access it on their own. After quickly assessing the crime scene, the police told the concerned onlookers the girl had committed suicide and put herself down the rubbish chute. Huh? Yeah, you know they just they just decided upon looking that this was something they didn't even touch her body like well I'll, I'll get into that but they just oh. decided it was a suicide the apartment manager suggested that they look at the security footage to get a better idea of what happened he even told them that he had been having issues with the cctv lately and that the police would need to look at the footage sooner rather than later out of fear that it would be taped over the looping time was too short on the system and the machine would quickly record like over even this newest footage and the manager recalled that the police didn't seem interested and ignored a suggestion. Right away, this was treated as a suicide and not a homicide. At 7.20 p.m., an ambulance was called. Christy Cook was one of the paramedics that arrived on the scene. When she spotted the body and attempted to take a closer look, a police officer wouldn't allow her to enter. This goes against literally everything that she had been trained to do, but she was in an impossible situation. For whatever reason, the police in charge wouldn't allow her in the room, so she was forced to observe her from the doorway. She saw that Phoebe was lying on her back and that she had cuts on her hip and thigh. She also noticed that Phoebe's right foot was in an unnatural position, possibly meaning that it was fractured. Her pants were around her knees, but there was no evidence of sexual assault. Her skin had a bluish tinge. The coroner ruled that Phoebe climbed into the chute herself anywhere between 12 and 7 p.m. Her body had been discovered right after 7 p.m. The thing that upset Christy the most was the fact that no one even touched Phoebe at any point after the discovery of her body. Not one person touched her to see if she was warm or actually still alive. Not a single medically trained professional took a look at Phoebe's body. Many individuals that have researched her death extensively believe that Phoebe might have actually been alive when the ambulance arrived. <gasps> it wasn't until hours later that the crime scene specialists entered the room. They stated that based off of the trails of blood found throughout the garbage room, that Phoebe had survived the 98-foot fall down the chute. Oh, my God. But that the compactor blades caused oh deep God. gashes all over her body. She then must have crawled around trying to find a way to exit the room. There is a bloody handprint found on the garbage room door, but she was unable to get it open. She eventually died from blood loss. Oh my God. 
Everything about that is un it's unfathomable. And an incredible true crime writer named Robin Bowles wrote a book about Phoebe's death called Into the Darkness. After extensive research focused heavily on the crime scene itself, she firmly believes that Phoebe was murdered. Phoebe had promised her mother that she would come over to help decorate the family home the next day. It was her little brother's 18th birthday, and she was very close to her siblings. Not only that, but it was her best friend's birthday the following week. Knowing how involved she was with her friends and family, they don't believe that she ever would have killed herself before those special events. Apparently, Phoebe's grandfather, Lauren Campbell, was a retired police officer, and he went ahead and conducted experiments that the investigators should have, including experiments to figure out how she could have gotten herself into the shoot on her own. Lauren got a hold of the special shoot manufacturer and had him build a fake shoot. Lauren then had two of Phoebe's friends see if they were able to climb into it and fall feet first. One of the girls was able to, but the other couldn't fit because her shoulders were too broad. The shoot itself was only two feet by nine inches wide. That's that's incredibly narrow. Only big enough for trash. Literally. Her arms would have been behind her head, raised up above her rather than down by her side because the opening of the shoot is incredibly narrow. Yeah. Robin Bowles discussed the grandfather's findings as well as the coroner's in her book. The coroner suggested that Phoebe had attempted to slow her fall using her hands, but Robin stated that Phoebe didn't have dirty hands. That's impossible considering the trash shoot was a disgusting mess. There was no way Phoebe would have been able to get her hands down by her sides. And on top of that, the speed in which she was traveling wouldn't allow you to think about using your hands. She fell approximately 98 feet at around 52 miles per hour. Phoebe's blood alcohol level was 0.16, which is three times the legal driving limit. She also had a sleeping pill called Stillnox in her system. The combination of the two would have made climbing into the chute on her own nearly impossible. Yet police coroner Peter White declared that she committed suicide while in an intoxicated stupor. And get this, there were no fingerprints on the handle or anywhere on the outside of the chute. The chute was completely wiped clean. Oh my God. It should go without saying that if a woman in an intoxicated stupor was able to somehow get herself into the trash chute, her handprints, her fingerprints would have been all over that handle and opening. Yeah. This entire case is just another example of an inadequate investigation by police. Phoebe's body was not tended to upon discovery. Investigators failed to seize the apartment building CCTV footage. They did not conduct their own experiments to see if it was even possible to get into the garbage chute alone. I mean, her grandfather had to do this. Retired police, it's just insane. Anthony Hample insists that he had absolutely no involvement in the death of his girlfriend, and all he ever wanted was to help her mental health and drinking problem. He was never considered to be a suspect, and Phoebe Hanschuk's death was officially ruled a suicide. Later, the coroner suggested that there is a possibility that this was not a suicide, but in fact, just a freak accident. An accident caused by Phoebe being in a trance-like state due to alcohol and sleeping medication. How do you accidentally shove your body in a nine-inch hole? I don't, I don't know. Phoebe's family is deeply saddened and feels like the police and court system failed them miserably. Yeah. They did. Her mother said, natural justice is now the only thing we're going to get out of this. Karma will come to whoever has been involved. We just have to be patient. Fast forward to eight years later. A 25-year-old woman named Bailey Schneider was found dead in her parents' home in Melbourne. Similar to Phoebe, she had issues with alcohol and drugs, and her parents were very concerned about her involvement in the Melbourne party scene. 
A gold chain was wrapped tightly around her neck, but investigators couldn't find a hanging point. Even though they found this to be suspicious, Bailey's death was quickly ruled a suicide. Just that morning, Bailey had told her mom that she had broken up with her 51-year-old boyfriend, a man that she had been dating for about nine months. Guess who her boyfriend was? Oh my God, what? (laughs) Antony, Antony Hample. Two women that Antony dated died of suspicious suicides. Antony claimed that he wasn't in a serious relationship with Bailey, even though phone records would suggest otherwise. They were clearly in a serious relationship and had gone on multiple vacations together. Hours before Bailey was found dead, text messages show that the couple had broken up. Toxicology reports showed that Bailey had three times the legal limit of alcohol as well as cocaine in her bloodstream. According to her father, she had taken out a life insurance policy just weeks before her death. Which is very weird. I I mean, I know that everyone's different, but for a 25-year-old to just do that and then die weeks later, I found very strange. Yeah. Despite the similarities to Phoebe's death, Bailey's death was not deemed suspicious. Antony Hamble once again got away without ever being considered a suspect. So depending on his involvement or lack of involvement, he is either the luckiest or unluckiest man in the world. And that is the devastating, mysterious death of Phoebe Hanschuk. Um, so is it just a habit for this police department to see an obvious homicide and go suicide? I didn't, it made me that all of this made me really think about how many suicides have been. I mean, how many cases have been deemed suicide, but actually have been homicide. And it's all it takes is putting something around someone's neck or putting them in a suspicious location. There's so many people involved in an investigation. It's mm-hmm. not one person or two people and it's their opinion. It's yeah. There's so many people involved with this. There's so many people who have to verify. It's not just the detectives. It could be paramedics if paramedics come and then it yeah. could be doctors if like the person is submitted to the hospital. It could be then the coroner and like the, there's so many elements. So many to factors. This, yeah. To fa- yeah. So many different professionals who have to be involved in it. So how does everybody agree but this that, is just a, this is just a suicide. Yeah, it's weird, but it's a suicide. Yeah, and like when they found the fact that Bailey had had that golden chain tied tightly around her neck, yeah, there was no place for her to have been hanging from, and they just still decided. I don't know if it's laziness or just not wanting, or I don't. I mean, I have opinions, but we can't really get into that. For I would assume it's legal matters, but why? Oh, you know, Anthony's father. He was you know part of the Supreme court like he's in australia in australia yeah, that's true so there's like matters of power and maybe people just not wanting to dip into th- i don't know i really don't know and i'm not accusing him of anything or not not accusing him of anything yeah. it's i mean there's been so many episodes and things written about this man so you know i feel like somewhat okay even like bringing up the fact that there are possibilities of things mm-hmm. um so i don't know if maybe the police force was scared of making enemies with the wrong people i mean that could be that could be that happens i don't know anything about australia i don't know anything about their supreme court judges me neither i know, I know nothing i know so. nothing we just know america's legal system yeah. and that is and that perfect is, that's going swimmingly <laughs> yeah that's going perfectly well so it's um like i said it's he's either the unluckiest or luckiest man alive uh, yeah well i have my opinions but. i have mine too okay we can discuss later (laughs) (laughs) off air yes well thank you for sharing that thank you for listening (laughs) you're welcome love you love you bye bye 
If you enjoy this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you enjoy listening. We owe everything to the many journalists, authors, filmmakers, psychiatrists, and psychologists whose extensive work and expertise we pulled from to share this episode with you. To view detailed source material, as well as content from today, please visit us on Instagram and TikTok at Shorty's Podcast. We really love doing this show, and if you'd like to help with the continued creation of it, you can support by donating to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Shorty's Podcast. This episode was hosted by Ashley Brumley-Johnson and Ana Katarina.